a confirmation on, on Kerry's word this morning from Angela, Song of Psalms 2, verse 4. Um, I think this is just a brilliant introduction to, to um, your preachers, and it says, come into the... Oh, okay. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. So, brilliant word. Thank you for sharing, Angela. And uh, come on, Sherry. It's just so good to have you up here again. You've become quite a regular. And, uh, <laughs> and Lord, I, I just pray that uh, you would bless Sherry as she uh, preaches today. I know that the word that she's going to share with us is straight from the throne room. And I pray that it will touch people. It will touch people who are kingdom believers and uh, have maybe just strayed off and become a bit lazy. I pray for it to touch people that, that uh, don't know you as our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that it touches people uh, on air in the lounges that you're sitting in and, uh, and really creates a paradigm shift. So, Lord, anoint Sherry. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill her. We had an amazing word from Bron this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, open up her heart and may you shine from her heart as she, <coughs> she shares this morning in Jesus' name. Thanks, Dale. Thank you. He's brought me a chair because... Um, I'm a bit tired this morning, <laughs> so if you're going to get the best out of me, I might need to lean on the chair. <laughs> um, my name's Sherry van Grenen, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm one of the, the, the servant leaders in this house. And um, we, as you know, we're in a book, uh, the book of Hebrews at the moment, and these absolutely fantastic slides, um, the, the text is mine, but the la-la-la is Louise Bradshaw. She's absolutely amazing, and you'll see all of our slides uh, in the whole series, I have like a theme, which is absolutely awesome. I feel like I'm in the bathroom. Is that normal? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the whole book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews spends the whole book of Hebrews encouraging believers um, because they were going through quite a torrid time. They were um, being persecuted. They were being thrown to the lions, etc., and they, they started to get confused, and they, they, their faith started to waver, and their trust in God started to waver. Oh, that's better, thank you. Now I'm only walking out the bathroom. Um, and that sounds like, to me, a little bit like the 21st century. There's all sorts of wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of funny stuff going on, and we can waver, and we can start losing our faith and trust. And it's a little bit like flying. I don't know about you, but I'm not greatly given to flying, and I keep telling myself it's not fear, it's, you know, my body isn't like the physical turbulence. But what happens with flying is we have enough faith to get on the aeroplane. Um, that's like getting saved. And then we've got enough faith to understand that the aeroplane will take us from A to B. But we don't really enjoy the trip. And it's because of the turbulence. And that's a paradigm of the Christian life. We, we don't understand the trials and the turbulence. And we get a bit confused. And we, we don't like flying. And, we, and, you know, we don't like what's going on. So we... We don't push in and trust God. So we have saving faith, but we don't have um, maturing faith. Now, let me just see. 
So let's go to our text in Hebrews. Uh, it's that one, I think. Yes. So today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 4.14 through to chapter 5, verse 10. But the main context of it's in chapter 4. And I'm going to actually read this because Lecto Divinia, we read the Word of God in big chunks because it's good to get an overall sense of what's going on. So I'm going to read it off my notes because that's too small. <laughs> so it says, Since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So that's the Old Testament high priest, right? So this Old Testament high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because he himself is beset with weakness. And because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also did Christ not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And God says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then this is a picture of Gethsemane. Uh, in the days of his flesh, and other places, I guess, he prayed everywhere. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. So what we're going to do today, I love that one line in that song that talked about the shadows being things coming out of the shadows. We're going to take a meaty piece and half of you are going like, what does that mean? You know? And we're hopefully going to bring that, the scriptures into the light so the shadows will come off of our minds and hearts so we can see what it actually means and what are the implications of these scriptures? How do we live them out? So here's a quote from G.K. Chesterton. I can't remember when he lived. One of these old dude um, theologians, probably late 1800s, early 1900s, and he made this statement. The Christian life is not so much tried and found wanting as it's tried and it's found too difficult and they're not tried at all. And make no mistake, friends, the Christian life is difficult. We're going up against the tide of culture. We're going up, up against wokeness. We're going up against society. And the way uh, the world lives and the way we live is two different things. So we need to get understanding of what's happening in our lives. Now, the trick with that flying analogy is that the reason we're afraid is because fear is higher than knowledge. So I have pilot friends, and they try to explain to me why I shouldn't be afraid with the turbulence, but I am still. <laughs> I just don't understand how this big chunk of metal gets in the sky. But if you talk to a pilot, and he explains to you how airplanes work, possibly as on top of believing that it'll get me from Joburg to Cape Town, A to B, you may actually look forward to the trip. And I think that's actually happened to me in the last 15 years, because we, we go every year to Cape Town in, and I, I, I've gained enough knowledge that even though the turbulence is terrible and I just start sweating, I, I think it actually is a physical thing. It's got to do with the fluid in my ears bouncing around. So I sweat and sweat, but I'm not afraid anymore, because I have enough knowledge. So the fear recedes and the knowledge goes up. 
And that's the same thing for us in the Christian life. We, turbulence comes and it bounces us around, whether you're 50 or 20 or whatever. We have what seasons you're in, if you're a mommy, if you're a top executive, if you're in retirement. We've all got challenges in our lives. And these things bounce us around like crazy. And so we need a robust understanding of who Jesus is. Otherwise, we're not going to get through life. And many of us have got a, a really shallow understanding of what the Bible teaches. And hopefully today, we'll be able to take the shadows away from some of these scriptures. And you know what the problem is? is when, we, when life bounces us around, we spend less and less time with God, and then we start getting suspicious of him. And we think he's not as good as what the Bible actually says. No, nah, no, nah, dude. He, how can it say he sympathizes with our weaknesses? You know? He's God. He had unfair advantage. And we, we sort of start drifting and we go, no, nah, I just don't get it. So it's not so much that we tried the Christian life. It's that it's too difficult. So we just don't do it. So I'm going to give you some tools today where if you sneak into God and get closer to him, then it isn't going to be that difficult because you're going to understand who God is. And this particular verse, let me go back to it, this one here in Hebrews. Sorry, this thing is very sensitive. Okay, I'll get to it in a minute. Lee's going to help me. The one in, in, in chapter 4 where it says, Hold fast the confession of your faith because we have this great high priest. Thank you. Did I touch something? That one? This is a defining statement for us as believers. Hold fast the confession of your faith because of this high priest drawn near to the throne of grace. And we have to get this right. So let me paraphrase it for you uh, in, in maybe easier language. Um, it says, because Jesus is our high priest, and he was tempted just as we are, you know that when he lived on the earth, he didn't live, he was fully God and fully man, right? But he didn't use his godness. He was a man like we were. So he had to listen for Father, the same as I have to and you have to. So when he did the miracles, did it as a man, like me and Rich, and me and Leisha. He had to trust God for the gifts of the Holy Spirit because he was man. So he sympathizes with our weaknesses. So this great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, he's entered, that's what it says. He's entered his own narrative, his own story of mankind, became a man for us, and he acts as our high priest. Now, we don't get the high priest thing because we're 21st century believers and we don't get the whole Hebraic, Middle Eastern kind of narrative, but we'll have a look at it as we go along. And then it goes on to say that he's not immune to our, our trials and sufferings. He actually cares and he desperately wants us to, he deeply cares and he wants us to come to him and to realize that we can receive everything that we need from him. So now there's two imperatives in this text. Just want to skip through those ones. Am I going the right way, Lee? I am pushing the right arrow, except there ain't an arrow on here because too many fingers have pushed it. There. Okay. So the New Testament is full of um, roadmaps and guidelines that teaches us how to live in the narrative. And friends, they're not suggestions. They're imperatives. So I thought I'd tell you what an imperative is so that we would understand it. An imperative is something of vital importance. It's if you get given an authoritative command... Like, you must obey the traffic lights, because if you don't, other cars are going to crash into you. It's imperative. That's an imperative. It's something that's got authority, and it's absolutely necessary, and it's a rule or principle that we need, and it compels us to action. 
So that's what an imperative is. So I don't know if you picked up the imperatives in that chunk of scripture. I'll show them to you. Since then, we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith in bold. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. It's an imperative. But I bet you, you're all going, oh, that's lovely. How do I hold fast? What, what does it mean to hold fast? Do I hang on or something? So I'm going to tell you. And then the other one, there it says, the high priest who's not unable to sympathize with us. And because of this high priest who sympathizes with us, who is involved in our lives, let us draw near to the throne of grace. So the confidence to draw near is the other imperative. Hold fast, draw near. Those are the two imperatives. So now hold fast means to cling to or to persevere. And throughout uh, the New Testament, and particularly in the book of Hebrews, if you read it, uh, it's not so much about glory and provision and financial blessing. It's about hold fast. It's about persevere. In James, hold, you know, counsel joy when you're going th through trials because the, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the New Testament's about holding fast. So perseverance is a big theme. And you know, it's like the flying. If we don't have a robust understanding of our airplanes work, we're eventually not going to fly on them because we're too scared. And unless we have a robust understanding of who Jesus really is and what he's done for us and if understanding of God's narrative, then we wobble because we start believing in a God of our own making, like a fairy tale God. And that's not the case. We need to understand who Jesus is. Now, the drawing near, um, so the persevering and holding fast brings a stability to our lives. So if you persevere in your life and you hold fast, it's going to make a platform, right? You're going to stand on a platform. Um, and then the drawing near circles back, and it's the provision to holding fast. So how do you hold fast? By drawing near. How do you hold fast? By drawing near. So if we're going to persevere, we, we have to learn how to... Uh, how to persevere, because we've got stuff in our lives. We've got anxiety and stress, and Kerry was talking about it uh, with moms raising children. We have to learn how to come to the throne of grace uh, and give him our anxieties and pick up his peace, because we're human. We, we live in human environments, and life is tough, and life is scary, and we have to know how to do these things. <clears throat> you know, there's that scripture, uh, Matthew 11, uh, 28, uh, it comes up a lot in this church, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, the scary thing is, friends, that you and I have got as much of God as we want. And we're as close to God as we want to be. Because he says, come. He doesn't say, fix your stuff and do this and do that. He just says, come. Darling, come. Come to me, and I'll give you the rest that you need. Okay, so now, how do you draw near, Right? This we've also taught plenty times. So oh, those are the, the two imperatives, sorry, but I think I've said that about 10 times. Hold fast, <laughs> draw near. So this is how you draw near. You pray and you communicate with God. You read and meditate on the word and not reading for the sake of information reading. It's reading for the sake of hydration, hydration and transformation. So we, when we read the word, we mull over who Jesus is, and we see who he is and what he's done, what the whole narrative, what the whole story looks like in our lives. We spend time with God in silence and solitude, and we use active faith. And using active faith means saying what he says when you're in trial. So when things go wrong, we jump up and down and have a wobbly, and then the devil comes and points fingers and says things to you. That's when we have active faith. We say, no, the Bible says this. 
therefore I'm going to choose to believe that. But if you don't know what it says, because you never go and read it, well, then you've got a bit of a problem, right? So by doing these things raises our confidence. It's talking to the pilot. We start to gain understanding of what, how this whole following Jesus thing works, what it looks like. Then it raises our faith. As we said, when fear is high, it's because knowledge is low. And that knowledge, certainly reading the word in terms of theology, doctrine, but Gary said something the other day which has really stuck with me. He said theology is actually the knowledge of God. So yes, we're informed, but it's knowing who Jesus is personally as our Savior and our Lord. That's the kind of knowing we need to get. Now, these kind of practices um, should start sounding familiar to you because we've been teaching them for 10 years from, from this pulpit. We teach it a lot. And we used to call them spiritual disciplines. Have you got a spiritual discipline in place in your life? And recently I've been thinking it's more about a spiritual practice. Because when you're a kid, you go to soccer practice. You don't go to soccer discipline. And when you go and learn how to play the piano, it's not piano discipline, it's piano practice. And you do it because you love it and you learn so that when you have to do a recital at school or when you have to go and play with a team in soccer, you've practiced enough to be able to play the game. So it's actually about practicing the presence of God. So some mornings I come to my devotions and I really don't feel like it. I mean, three cups of coffee doesn't even help. But I have a little plan in place, the stuff that I'm reading, and I just engage and I start to read that stuff because I've got a plan in place. And if you don't have something in place, then when you don't feel like it, you're going to go and hang the washing and something else. So you've got a plan in place. And a friend of mine, uh, I was, had breakfast with a friend recently, and she was they retired, you know, around about my age, and her hubby, well, life partner, is an avid tennis player. Now that he's retired, he plays tennis five days a week. Goes down to the club and engages with everybody. He plays tennis. But sometimes there's nobody to play with. So he goes and practices by himself. You know, when you go down to the club, they've got those green walls with a white stripe on it, and he goes and practices against the wall. So he practices his swing, he practices his serve, he practices his backhand, and all those practices, you have to move your feet all the time. So you have to get in position. You have to move your feet. And that's what having a devotion in a quiet time is like. We're practicing. And as she was speaking, I thought to myself, that's just like church. So when you go and play with the other oaks at the, at the tennis club, that's like corporate worship. Corporate sung worship, getting together, praying for each other, and it's really good fun. But sometimes you have to go down to the wall by yourself. You have to go down and move your feet. You have to, and you know how the ball comes back funny? I don't know if you've ever played squash. It's, it's, a, it's one of those bounce games. Tennis is easy. You hit it to somebody and it comes back. And you play squash, the ball comes back at funny angles and you've got to, you know? We have to learn how to move our feet. We have to learn what the, those, you know, the Matthew eleven twenty eight. if you go and look it up in uh, <clears throat> the Passion, no, not the Passion, the Message, it talks about walk with me a while. I'll show you how to take a good rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, when you look at these major tennis players, they jump around there like crazy. If I did that, I'd, I'd land up like in a twist, you know. But because they practice it so much, he, he's got his feet in the game long before the swing even happens. And that's what we have to do by these practices. And if we don't do it, our natural default is we're naturally inclined to go, I don't believe in God. He's not as good as the Bible says he is. All this stuff, it's just like words. It's just like writing, you know. It's because we don't know him and we don't understand him and we haven't practiced. So we need to move from saving faith where we'll get on the plane because I now fly because I don't like driving for 16 hours. So I'd rather fly to Cape Town. So in the early years, we've been going for about 15 years, I would just go because oh, the driving's out. 
we did the driving in our 20s, and you know, the older you become, hopefully, you become a little bit more economically viable and you can afford to fly. Saving faith moves from, I can get on the plane because I know Jesus, there's none other. He's the creator God. He, there is nothing like him. So therefore, I will serve him, and I, I will become born again and saved. But we don't have enough faith. Our faith isn't mature enough to know, is he going to complete the work? Friends, he's not finished with you. He promised to complete the work that he started in you. And on my worst day, and believe me, there are all of us, we have really good days, really bad years. On a whole year, maybe. <laughs> have you ever had a whole year? I've had them. A whole bad year, Christ alone, cornerstone. And I know, and I hang in there, and I hold fast because I know he promised he'd complete the work. So saving faith moves to mature faith when now in my life, and I shouldn't say this because maybe put your head above the parapet, next week's going to come. But now I'm actually enjoying life. And I've got the same challenges as you. I don't know about you. You've got relational challenges, economic challenges, financial, health. That's what the chair's for. I had COVID last year, and I've had heart rate problems, high heart rate problems, and it's been fine for three months. And all of a sudden, it's jacked today. I'm speaking to you now with a heart rate of 120. That's why I asked um, Dale, my man, to bring me a chair, and I asked some of the guys to pray for me. I'm sure it's just an attack, you know. It's really hard to focus when your heart rate's at 120. It's like... So we all have these challenges, but I'm actually enjoying the journey because my faith has moved from saving faith to mature faith, and my mature faith says no matter what life throws at me, this Jesus will get me through. He's going to get me through. He's the one who loves my soul, and I'm going to believe what his word says no matter what, but the challenge is to get the word into you in the first place. Eh? And this is what happens to a lot of us. We're living our lives, and it's like, I wonder where the shepherd is. I never hear his voice anymore. Anybody who's in our life group, group knows I'm, I'm really honest. I say to them, this happened to me over lockdown. I just, you know, we thought it was going to be for a little while, so I developed some bad habits, habits called net, and it ends in flicks, you know. And after the first six months of 24 Sundays at home, six months, no church, okay, we went online and listened, you know what I mean? But it's not the same. Online church is an oxymoron. You can't have those two words in the same sentence. You don't do online families. You know, these long-distance relationships where the husband goes to war for four years and comes back, the relationship's trashed, dearie, you know? I understand online. Please don't get me wrong. I understand that there's a time and place for them that served us well during lockdown. But I got hooked on some stuff that robbed me, and eventually I would wake up and go, now I'm depleted. And I would say to myself, so where's God? And I mean, I'm a mature believer. I should know better than this. So it happens to me too. You know why? We leak. So we've got to go back and get our faith to increase. So if our faith increases, then our knowledge increases. Not doctrine knowledge, Jesus' knowledge. What is his character? What is his nature? Who did he say he was? Who, did, who does he say I am in him? That's the knowledge that we need. Then we can enjoy life, no matter what life throws at us. So that's the two imperatives. And now, what's the basis for the imperatives? In other words, how can the writer of the Hebrews tell you to hold fast? Doesn't he know we're being thrown to the to lines in the Colosseum? Doesn't he know there's a threat of a nuclear war in the Ukraine and this whole COVID lockdown thing, no matter what you believe? Can't he see what's going on? And you mind me, do you think he could come and help? You know? How can he tell us? And he can tell us, he's got a secret, it's actually not a secret. It's there for everybody. Because we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This Jesus came to earth for us, died for our sins, shed his blood, 
That's why. That's the how. That's how can this guy tell us to do that, whoever the writer of the Hebrews was, you know? And the reason is that. Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this high priest, because we don't get it. So I've often thought, well, why didn't God just fix the software in heaven? And then everything would be fine, and we could kind of plug in and get saved, and everything would be fine. He had to become a man, because he set up the system of the high priest in the Old Testament, that the high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies and once a year he would sacrifice on the behalf of the people and of himself. So Jesus had to become human. He had to be appointed by God. You are my son, I've begotten you. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Old Testament priest had to offer sacrifices for human sin and for himself. Jesus' death was the sacrifice. Once off, finished, and claw. That's why blood had to be shed. And the Old Testament priest was sympathetic because he was a, a human being and he knew what all these naughty people got up to. So when he went in, he had to do his stuff and their stuff. Jesus is sympathetic to our lives, but he's not sympathetic to our sin. And we shouldn't be sympathetic to each other's sin either. And I'll explain what I mean why he's sympathetic to our sin. He's without sin, yet without sin. And what actually happened was he was made sin for us, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So Jesus was sinless, but the reason he understands is God put all of mankind's sin on him. Now that just rolls off the tongue. This is very lacquer. God put the sin on him. I'm going to tell you what that actually means, friends. And it's a, you know, when I got this, it blew my mind. So not because he sinned, but because he carried sin. You know, about 20 years ago, I don't know if you remember that movie, The Mel Gibson, Passion of the Christ. Ian and I worked for a corporate at the time, and for some reason they thought this movie was awesome, so they had a cocktail party two weeks in a row, and you'd invite clients, and then we had to go with, you know, because the clients are there. I don't know about you, but this movie was too much for me. You know, I don't enjoy watching a man getting beaten to death and the blood and the gore. So I didn't watch that part, most of it. Half of the time, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus, can we just get rid of this movie? But I'll tell you the part that really got me. When he was on the cross, God turned his face away from Yeshua. He turned away from him. And in that moment, he dumped your sin and my sin, dumped it on him fully. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the movie, at that moment, tear dropped from heaven. Bruce is nodding your nose. A tear dropped from heaven onto Jesus' cheek. Well, that was me. In that moment, 20 years ago, I understood what Jesus went through. So he doesn't sympathize with our sin because he sinned, but because he carried it. He knows, he understands. That nearly killed me, that. I had to watch it twice the next week again. And when he was in Gethsemane the night before, sweating great drops of blood, God, if there's any other way, can this cup pass from me? It wasn't the death that was worrying him. And I don't want to minimize the beating up of Jesus and the, the blood and everything, but that part was like, you know, maybe we inured, we see too many, you know, violent movies, but that wasn't the part that got me. He knew Father's going to turn his face away from me tomorrow. Jesus, can I go through with this? This is the Jesus. It was part of the Trinity at the beginning of creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a word called perichoresos. Gary uses the dance of the Spirit. The three of them would dance together, three in one. We don't fully understand that. He was there in the beginning of the world and he became a man for us. It's hard to preach this stuff. I'm nearly in tears. Anyway. So, friends, 
You can't say God doesn't get my stuff and he doesn't understand me and he's immune and he doesn't know my stuff. We've all got stuff that's going down and he knows and he cares. You know that there were a host of angels right there in the invisible realm and they were like, God, just tell us to go and we get him off that cross. This is going to be cool. And they stood silent. And the devil had a big party and he thought, this is very cool, I've won. But the schmuck didn't know was he's going to rise on the third day, you know? So Jesus went through, through it for us, not because he committed sin, but he sympathizes with our weaknesses. I read in one translation uh, to do with Gethsemane, he shrank from the horrors of separation of, from the bright presence of his father. He knew it was coming the next day, and he did that for you and me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's, so that's how the, the writer of the Hebrews can say, hold fast your confession of faith, draw near to the throne of grace, because of this high priest that did these things for us. He understands our turbulence. He understands our suffering and he says, come, come to me. Just come, darling, come. You don't have to do anything. Just come and as we walk together, I'll help you with your stuffs. Um, this defines our ability to stand before God. The understanding that he sympathizes with us and he gets us this gives us the confidence to go through trials and suffering. So that was how could this writer tell us to hold fast? Is he nuts? That's why. He who knew no sin became sin. He carried the weight of it on his shoulders. But now this is the really, this is the whole, this is the whole deal at the end. Why? Why must we hold fast? Surely God could just do a thingy in heaven with a soft bit, and then your brain would change and be going to trust God. You know why? Because life is hard, friends. Life is full of trial. That's why we do these two things. We face trials and we're still in our lifetime. We can't even fathom. I'm so glad I'm in the 60s and not in the 20s. But I read something yesterday which blew me away, which said, don't feel sorry for the youngsters. They were born for such a time as this. They were born, and God has given you, Dale, and your mate's name I can never remember, the barista, Kyle. I'll, I'll remember it from now on because now I've embarrassed myself. Dale and Carl, God has given them grace for this hour. I can't put my stuff on them. I'm 40 years older than them or something, or maybe 35. Be his mother. I don't feel sorry for them anymore. I read something yesterday that said, God's given them grace. Your kids, the ones that you're worrying over. We had some friends to lunch yesterday. Okay, I'll say who it was. Kerry and Karen Lynch for lunch. And we were talking about parenting. Like, Ian and I don't have kids. Can you tell? <laughs> But Justin and Minnie and Karen, and I just looked at them and went, how do you raise children in this environment? I'd, I'd be scared to death. But God has anointed them, and he's put in them stuff that they're going to need that you didn't need. And that's why I'm so glad that Kerry and Karen are doing what they're doing, and I know many of you are going to help, and you're going to also send your teenagers there, because we need to speak a language, and God and Holy Spirit's got lots of languages, and he speaks their stuff to them. I mean, I, I can hardly relate to Dale. I mean, I'm sure you feel it, Dale. <laughs> you know? Because firstly, I don't have kids, and secondly, it's like another generation. But I try, and, and even Paul, I often say, you know, Paul drives me nuts. He's like sandpaper on me. He's just too colorful. Then he comes and jumps on me and gives me a hug and makes it even worse. <laughs> no, he does, Paul. I don't know where he is today, but <sighs> luckily he's not here. I didn't see you lurking in the shadows, and that's only 20 years. Um, but the point is we're going to have trials. So Dale and Carl's trials are different to my trials. 
Your season's different to mine, friends. So whatever I say today, I pray that God lifts the shadow off of your life because it might look different to mine. Little kids, you know, I'm, you know, if I have an hour a day in the mornings, you might only have 10 minutes. I know Laura Evans gets up and then she's, what, some unearthly hour, sneaks into the kitchen and makes coffee and it's her half an hour before all the men in her house wake up. The only, it's only two of them in the house that are women. One's the dog, Coco, and the other one's her. So if you've only got 10 minutes, your life looks different to mine. But know this, friend, that the same Jesus that was forsaken on the cross for you and for me. Same thing. We invited to come boldly to the throne of grace, okay? Now, it says that we, we can get grace and mercy there. So we obtain the things we need at the cross. We can take our anxiety and we can get peace. We can take our mental and emotional instability and we can get a sound mind. Humphrey preached on it last week, Second Timothy 1, 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and love and a sound mind. Now, my sound mind looks different to Dale's because we were born in a different generation, so we see things differently, you know? I read in another translation, and a sound mind, talks about an undisturbed mind with calmness and well-being. That's the stuff that God gives you, not wealth and this and that and other. When God talks about prosperity, he's talking about the prosperity of the soul. We can prosper in our souls. Now, I just wanted to tell you the difference between mercy and grace. Come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need, and we'll get mercy and grace. So if you commit a big crime, and society dictates you've got to go to prison for that. And if they decide not to send you, that's mercy. Not getting what you do deserve. Mercy. So salvation, we didn't get what we do deserve. Grace is, oh, shame, you've made such a big crime. You've trashed everybody in your life, whatever it was. Now you've got nothing. We'll give you a house and a car and a job. That's grace. That's getting the things you didn't deserve. So mercy, the things you should have got, you didn't. And grace, the things that you don't deserve, you're getting them. Friends, we can have both at the cross, at the cross, at the cross. You know? But we make the gospel about a me, me, me. You know why? I think we get bored. We get bored of hearing the scandalous gospel of grace every time we come to church. It's like, that's for new people to get born again. No, it's for me. Mercy is salvation. And grace is peace, soundness of mind, calm, undisturbedness. All the things that you've got, the things that are bothering you in whatever season of life you're in, friends, you can bring those to the cross. I preached on it in December somewhere, out of Isaiah 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And it's actually they that wait upon the Lord will exchange their stuffs for his stuff at the foot of the cross. So when you try, when you trialed and there's trial and tribulation coming against you, hold fast the confession of your faith. Come boldly. Even if you really mess up, I'm a messer up, eh? It's good, you know, my personality's too strong, so I just say things and then I, ugh, then I have to apologize and it causes drama. But my hubby knows I'm an apologizer. When I do wrong, I say, mea culpa, I did it. And sometimes I say, mea culpa, I did it, and I'm not sorry, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, admit that I, I'll admit that I said or did it, but I'm actually not sorry because that's the truth. You know? So that's mercy and grace. Grace is the provision to walk in the mercy. And what often happens is, I've made this comment before, we, we repent enough to get saved, but, but we don't surrender enough to mature. So the repenting part's easy, because he did it, right? But now I have to walk out my salvation, and I have to go to the throne of grace to obtain all the things I need in my daily life. There's a scripture in Peter somewhere that says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
And you know, friends, I'm getting to the stage in my life where every day I wake up, no matter how I feel, I go to him and I say, God, if you don't come today, I don't know I'm going to get through today. I've got to have you. Carl's nodding his head. I, this morning I said to Jesus yesterday, if you don't come with and anoint me, don't send an angel. Your presence must come. Otherwise, it's gobbledygook. And what happens if my personality rears its head and I say, and I say something I shouldn't, you know? So, so we need to draw near to get those things we need. Right. Friends, I want to tell you something. God is not the author of trial. And God doesn't steal your stuffs. You know, you hear, oh, well, mommy died and went to heaven. Jesus needed, him, needed her more than you did. It's garbage. You shouldn't teach our kids that. Well, he doesn't put sickness on us. He doesn't take our stuffs. When people die, he doesn't take them from you. That's life. He doesn't steal your dreams. He doesn't steal your promotion. If we understand the narrative of God, it's called the Bible, this wondrous story of redemption of mankind, and we understand the players, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the enemy of our souls that runs around wanting to take you out, and us, we get to play in it. I said to the Lord this morning, so cool. You're partnering with me. I'm going to speak, and you're going to do the stuff. So this is really cool to partner with God. We get to partner with God on a daily basis. But it's not God that does all these things. You, we can overcome our fears and our anxieties and our, all the things that are wrong. We live the same world as the unsaved do. We live the same world. God doesn't just instantly translate you into another place as a Christian. We have the same trials. We just understand what's going on. If we, if we prepare to get enough word foundation in our lives. If your fear, if your fear is too high, it's because your knowledge of Jesus is too low. You've got to turn it. How do you do that? Those spiritual practices. Get the footwork right in private. Go down to the wall by yourself on a daily basis, a couple of times a week. How we think about God and think about ourselves, this is the defining thing that defines our reality as believers, eh? You know, Ryan was here, Ryan Matthew, about two weeks ago, and he talked about we are God's servants, and it's not about brand sherry. And that's the other reason we get bored. It's the cross, it's the cross, it's Jesus, Jesus. But we want, um, I was going to name some big international names of social commentators and stuff, but I won't. You can be as strong as you want to be, and you just... No, friends, I've got no strength. Galatians 2.20, Humphrey, you brought it up last week. I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Not I. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's my mantra. I live only by the faith of the Son of God, and it ain't boring. You have to go, Dale and Carl, you have to go through a couple of decades <laughs> until you realize, <laughs> you to, and you have got less decades than them because you're about 10 years older, and then you suddenly realize, I'm not the hotshot I thought I was. And friends, this doesn't mean we give up our minds, eh? We have common sense. We, there are strong men and women in this church. You might be a strong businessman. You may be a serious moneyed oak, you know? You can still bow your knee to Jesus Christ every day, and you can still say, I'll put your yoke on me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm going to come to you and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We can get the stuff from Jesus that we need. So remember that this scripture is a direct call to intimacy. Draw near to the throne of grace for help in time of need. Remember I said you've got as much of Jesus as you want to have, and you're as close to God as what you want to be. Because there's a big stock cock in heaven, and it's open, and the water floods down. Jesus made an open heaven. But on our side, there's a little skinny one that we close. 
We can't understand, like the pink panther lying on the lounger. We can't understand that. You're the shepherd anymore. Your stopcock's closed, friends. You need to keep it open. You need to go to the throne of grace and say, I know your stuff is there for me. Help me to see Jesus every time I open this narrative. Help me to see who Jesus is and who I am in him. So now, towards closing. Throughout Hebrews, these are the things you're going to hear. And if you remember the first slide, it said the supremacy of Jesus. It's been preached a lot in the last few weeks, and as we close the Hebrew series out, it's the same thing. You're going to hear this. Jesus is supreme. He's the Lord. He's the master. When Ryan Matthews was talking about brand Sherry versus brand um, Jesus, we, we sometimes make him out to be a cosmic Santa Claus, you know? He's going to come around and fix all our stuff. He's a cosmic life coach. You know, just go to Jesus and he's going to download all the things I need to live my life. No, friends, I'm sorry. Trial and perseverance is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. If you, if you just settle that in your soul and you understand, yes, God may fix some of your stuff. Those who know me well know I've got some health issues that don't go away. I had to stop working at a younger age, about five years ago, because I couldn't work anymore. Do I believe in prayer? For sure. Have I prayed? You see this bald spot? In church, they pray for me all the time. They do prayer, healing things. I go stand at the back these days because I can't lay hands on one more time. I've settled in my heart. Our outer body fades away, and I would love to be healed. But when Ryan Matthews was here, I was sitting by those couches on the side, and the weighty presence of God came on me. And I said to Jesus, the rest of my life, another 25 years hopefully, I'm going to seek the healer. It doesn't matter about the healing. If the healing comes, cool, but I'm fine with it. And, and it sounds lacquer and glib. Wait, when I can't get out of bed in the morning and neurological conditions drive me dilly. So I have to live this the same as you, friends. I have to live it. We have to choose. What are we going to believe? We're going to have to choose that we'll go to him for our strength. He's made a way for us. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and hold fast our confession. The drawing near is what fuels the holding fast. How the heck can you hold fast? You know, you see those movies and they hang on and they hang on and eventually their hands let go. Because it's not in our own strength. Galatians 2.20. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The just shall live by faith. In the NRV, it actually says the just shall live by his faithfulness. It's not actually our own. We have to plug into him. John 15, the vine. We have to plug in and get the sap flowing through our lives. And the other thing that isn't on that slide that you'll hear a lot of in Hebrews is we have a Sabbath rest. Humphrey touched on it last week. No longer a day, although a day is a good idea, you know, to, to take a rest and just stop with stuffs. So in closing, believers, I want to provoke you. I can because Gary said so. You know, he said, we don't provoke each other enough. Provoke each other and say, how's it going with you? How's your relationship with Jesus? I see you've been struggling lately. And as Ian and I say to each other, I see the language is slipping a bit. Are you okay? The mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. And Ian and I have covenanted before God to get rid of the bad language. And boy, it's hard. So every time we say a, word, a sentence with a wrong word in it, we say the sentence again with a better word. It's like putting an elastic band on your wrist, you know. <laughs> because we want to follow Jesus. Do you take Jesus daily as the remedy to your problems? Do you center? Do we? Do I? Do I center my life around my devotion to Jesus? I have to. We've got no choice. Richard said it in the prayer meeting. We have no choice. We will not survive the wokeness of the world and the societal issues going on in the world unless we know who this Jesus is that we serve. We have to know him. And if you're doing quite well as a believer and you're you know, chugging along, Gary preached out of Hebrews 2 verse 3 a couple of weeks ago, and it said, don't neglect this great gift of salvation. Don't drift away. 
So if you drift, there's a train with your name on it that's coming around the corner, and life's going to come at you like a train, and then you're going to go, like the, you know, the pink panther on the lounger. I can't hear God anymore. I don't know where he is. People say that to me so often, and, and I don't say the following to them because I actually want to retain the friendship, and I'm, I'm too direct. But what I want to say to them is, how's your quiet time, friend? Where, do you go to the throne of grace? You know? Because when the train comes, we need to be able to recognize it. We need to understand this narrative of God's. And it happened to me in lockdown a lot with this whole Netflix thing. And after a few weeks, maybe months, if I'm honest, in 2020, I was going, so what are you doing up there having a party like Boris, you know? All the rest of us wearing masks and you, God, are just sitting on your throne? No, you need to come here and help us. What's going on? And instantly the Holy Spirit said, shares, you haven't been going to the secret place. Man, I ran back to the throne of grace. So if we're good at it and we all leak and we all have times where we don't do it, sometimes it might be for years or decades, days, recognize, go back to the throne of grace. Go and mull over who Jesus is. Go and remember what he did on the cross for us. So we need a robust understanding of who Jesus is. So now I want to talk to those of you who are not followers of Jesus. There's an invitation today for you to come and know this Jesus. The way you do it is you repent of your sins, and sin is basically unbelief in Jesus. It's not the things you do. It's the state of heart. Jesus came to, surrender, to, to redeem us out of sin. So if you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, you publicly acknowledge Jesus, that's how you get saved. You've heard this word bandied around. It just means saved from that mechanism, you, that kingdom. It's another kingdom, okay? And live in this kingdom. The trials might be the same, the issues might be the same, but God deals with the soul, deals with our hearts. And you know, I found a scripture the other day uh, that's really stuck with me, and it says, to those who receive and welcome him, it's in John 1, 12, to those who receive and welcome him, he gives the right authority and the privilege to become the children of God. That blew me away. So those of you who don't know Jesus, Everybody's looking to the front, so it won't really matter. Just, if you don't know Jesus, just stick your hand up and wave it at me just so I don't know. And even if nobody sticks their hands and waves it, because you might be embarrassed, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want all of us to pray together. It's called the salvation prayer, where you acknowledge what's going on in your life. Where's that little pamphlet again? <laughs> I thought I had it printed out on my thingy. Thank you. I do. I wrote it in blue, especially for you. So in a moment of seriousness, even if you didn't stick your hand up, let's all pray this prayer. And if you want to move from that kingdom to this kingdom, pray this. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I turn from my sin to you, Jesus, the Messiah and Savior. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that your son Jesus died for my sins that I might be forgiven. I believe that he rose again to give me eternal life. I repent of my sins and I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you now that I'm a child of God. Now if any of you prayed that prayer, 
please feel free afterwards to come and chat to somebody on that couch. I nearly said come and chat to the blue couch, but a guy and a gal will be there, and they can just talk to you and help you through it. But I want to give you a little gem if you decided to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's like marriage. So you stand together with the justice of the peace, and you say your vows, and you receive each other. Your legal status changes. You're now married. You wake up tomorrow, next week, next month, and you don't feel married. Sorry for you. Your legal status changed. And that scripture that I read you, he gives the right authority and the privilege to become the children of God if you receive and welcome him and confess with your lips. So I don't have the authority, but I'll tell you, legally now you're a child of God if you prayed that prayer. So tomorrow and the next day when you don't feel like it, you're a child of God because today was a definitive change in your life. There is a walking out of this thing. There is a drawing near, holding fast. There's many things in Scripture that tells us about the narrative. So if you prayed that prayer in your heart and you just didn't want to stick your hand up, go and talk to Mark Andrea. Stand up, Mark. He's going to tell you what you did and give you some information and help you understand how you walk this thing out. How the hell do I be married? It's like marriage course, you know? And then after everything I've said today, there could be believers here whose trust in Jesus has just waned. I mean, you don't even know what happened, you know? Happens to all of us at some stage. And you just need a reboot. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer for you too. We can all pray it together along the lines of what I've just spoken about. And then after that, Bruce is going to come with his musos and we're going to sing that cornerstone song again after I've prayed this prayer with you and you pray with me. And then if you feel like you just need somebody to help you, somebody to pray with you, feel free while the music's playing to come to the front or come and talk to one of us, whatever you feel comfortable with. And the prayer goes like this. For those of us who trust, you say to me, oh, I understand the airplane, and I understand my faith is low because my, the knowledge is low, the fear is high, but uh, how do I get out of where I am now? Repent. Metanoia means to change our minds, to turn away from something to something. Father God, I'm brokenhearted today. I just, the turbulence and trials of life somehow caused me to stop trusting in you. I just backpedal, Jesus. Can you, I'm coming. I turn towards you. I come to the throne of grace. I hear your word preached today. I come for help in time of need. Holy Spirit, you were left behind when Jesus went. To encourage believers, you were left behind so we could follow Jesus and you would make truth real to us. I draw near Jesus. You can come, Bruce. If you pray that prayer in your heart, whatever, you know what? I sometimes pray that prayer once a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? We leak, friends. And we, I go to him and I say, oh, Jesus, I've missed it again. I'm brokenhearted. I just, help me, God. Help me to walk the way that you want me to walk. I love these songs. I actually chose some of them and I asked the guys if they'd play some of these old hymns, you know. Cornerstone, Christ alone, through the trials and the storm, my anchor holds within the veil. Hey? That's the Jesus we serve. Hold fast, draw near with confidence.